there is nothing that could ever be worth me selling my time. Like there's nothing, I'm, I'm not willing to be unhappy for any amount of money. There was a time where I was, I won't do that anymore. I want to be happy and enjoy every day. So that's why I think people who are in a job that they love need to be careful because you might love it now, but what if one day you don't? Do yes. you have the flexibility or do you need it? Yes. And if you need it, you're in the riskiest position that you could ever be in. Like if you're thinking insurance, you know, people say real estate investing is re- risky. I couldn't disagree more. I think having a full-time job and not investing is the riskiest thing you could ever do. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 25, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Before we jump into this episode, though, go over to whatever app you're listening to this on and leave us a five-star rating and a written review, and we'll be sure to read it. There's something fun about getting another podcast host on as a guest. Andrew is constantly leaving his comfort zone, whether it be leaving his job to pursue real estate investing, taking on large-scale development opportunities, or starting his own meetup group and podcast. The constant drive is something I love to see. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see Andrew's growth. I think I probably met him two or three years ago at a networking event and then didn't really bump into him for quite a while. Then all of a sudden he discovered Gary Vee started doubling down on social media, starting his own networking event. It's just awesome to see people really understanding the value that there is in networking. This episode is sponsored by Jeff Weibo himself. Jeff told his whole story in episode six, where he earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent. He's a major advocate for having social media presence, as made clear by his Instagram and YouTube accounts. He also puts on events at the mansion and co-hosts the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Follow along on his journey on Instagram and YouTube. And if you're looking to invest in real estate, contact Jeff through any of his social media accounts. But enough chatting, let's dive into the interview. So Andrew Hines is a real estate investor for both student housing and multifamily buildings while also working on custom home building. He's the founder of the Greater Hamilton REI Meetup Group and host of his own podcast, the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, Kellen. Thanks for having me. Thanks, for, thanks. thanks, Matt. thanks for joining us. So we'd love to just dive into this right now, and I'm sure we'll build upon it later. But can you give us a brief summary of your last year, what it's looked like for you? Okay. Yeah. My last year has been, I was finishing up a townhouse development. I was actually building it. So I was, I took on the project midway through, it was already an existing subdivision and I started building the final 27 townhouses out of 47 townhouses. Wow. Before that, you know, just to give you kind of how that happened, I was basically hired by my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, because I was doing my own little mini builds and renovations. And and I had a group of trades here in London. She saw it and she's like, wow, you could really help me. We need a builder. And I kind of just fell into that. So I was finishing that up at the beginning of, you know, the last 12 months. And then after that, I um, renovated one of my student properties, turned it into a real masterpiece and refinanced that one. And then I started building out and renovating my first multifamily conversion. I I built a secondary unit in the back of a property and that one's rented out right now. And coming to right now, I'm actually just about to start another townhouse build that will be 15 units. Plus I'll be servicing the entire subdivision that's out towards the Sarnia area. So I seem to find myself in constructing and making things happen and building things. And I'm actually building a a custom home or consulting on a build for a custom home right now for a friend of mine. Again, these are things that I, people know, I know a bit about construction. So I, I get asked these things and I've had other investors ask me to, you know, renovate or build things for them. And Usually my answer is no, just because of, of how busy I am and how busy I want to be. But mm-hmm. uh, if it's the right project and it, you know, it's something that seems fun, that's usually where yes will come into play. <laughs> and so for our audience, when you say building these townhomes, are you actually swinging a hammer or are you just... No, I don't. I don't swing the hammer. My work is done primarily through my phone and my computer. And it's it's basically I have a setup. I have my own construction company that has been set up to it started really just to build my own stuff, to renovate my own properties so that I had proper WSIB clearance so that I had proper insurance. And then once I had the setup, there was nothing stopping other people from asking me to build for them as well. Hmm. And again, not where I ever thought I'd be, not what I was shooting to do. It's just sort of what I fell into. And I, you know, it's, I say this a lot on my Instagram page, uh, you know, it's like Lego. It's, you know, when you're doing something that, that you enjoy, you're, you're building something. Hey, we all played with Lego as kids and as grown ups, we have a new type of Lego. It's not actually Lego, but it's something that, that feels the same. 
That's crazy. So you're specializing in something that I struggle the most with, and that's getting good, reliable contractors to, you know, build, build things at a price that's probably somewhat reasonable. So like, yes, what are some of your major tips in terms of building a team like that for yourself? It's not easy to start because what happens, I'll, I'll get to the, the tips, but I'll, I'll just give the preamble. When you're getting into this business and you don't know what you don't know, people see that on you. And when you're trying to get trades, they're going to see that you don't know. And for most trades, that's that's like dollar signs light up in their eyes and they they, they think, oh boy, here we go, right? Right. Because I'll, I'll put it this way. If you're thinking about it from a trades perspective, trades deal with homeowners a fair bit. Like if, if you're a trade, like I'm not going to give any specific names, but I recently got a quote from a company that deals with end consumers, like homeowners for a deck. And that quote was for $50,000 to do a deck. I had the same job quoted by a guy that I use regularly that does decks as well. And he quoted it at 13,800. Wow. Wow. So that's the kind of disparity you'll see in quotes, depending on whether a trade person works for end consumers or whether they work for a general contractor. Right. When somebody works for an end consumer, they know that that end consumers are going to shop them around to 10 different people or five different people. Their, their probability of closing that deal is so low that they have to price so high to justify the time to quote all these different jobs right. before they actually get one. So they, they set the price so high that if you were crazy enough to say yes to it, they'd be so delighted to take your job and it makes it worth all the no's they get. On the flip side of that, if you work with one guy consistently and you always feed him business, he's going to come in and saying, Andrew's very little work. I know Andrew is easygoing. If I'm reasonable in price and I don't change the price from the last time I worked for Andrew, mm. he's likely just going to say yes. And I won't have to spend my time selling. I can spend my time working. Mm. And if you're working with somebody like that, that understands that that's the value you bring as, as a customer, I'm the customer for these sub trades that work for me. If they understand that I'm going to be easy with them, they give me the, their best pricing. Wow. And so my tip would be, don't be that giant pain in the, can I swear? Yeah. Yes. Pain in the ass. <laughs> don't be that person because <laughs> if you haggle every last little dime or you say, well, I, you know, I, I talked to three other people and they said they could do it a little cheaper. That person's eventually just going to say, you know what? I don't need this. I can find work elsewhere or I can find more profitable work elsewhere or easier work elsewhere. So the biggest thing is when you have somebody good, take care of them. Sorry, I know that was long-winded. No, no. Take that's, care that's, of them. That was gold. <laughs> because, you know, you, you can get a job done cheap, but you could burn every bridge you have in the process. Right. And is that really worth it? And, and if you want to make a business out of this, if you want to be renovating mm -hmm. property after property, yeah. I mean, Matt, you've done a lot, Kellen, I know you have too. And we mm -hmm. all struggle with finding good people. That's, that's why when you find a good one, you take care of them yeah. and, and you go out of your way to make their life easier. And I've noticed things improve a little bit in my own scenario only because in the beginning, I definitely had no idea what I was talking about, but then mm -hmm. through a multitude of errors, I've gotten better. And now I at least understand the mm -hmm. basics. And if someone comes in and they're trying to take advantage, I, I catch whiff of it a little quicker, but yeah. it's, you know, like you said, learning how to speak their language is something I need to improve on. And mm -hmm. if I'm not good enough at it, it might make sense for me to hire someone just to do some general consulting, like, and, and they can kind of be the one to speak to the contractors and I can be on the background right behind the curtain. Right. So I can go in there with a guy I know and trust and say, Hey, this is what I want to get done. Can you speak with the contractors yes. and kind of manage them for me? Yeah. So that you bring a, a great way to get started. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great way. You know, we, we could, we could dive into this. So find a friend, a family member who's in the trades, bring them with you. Mm. That, and and that, that might be a favor or in the case right now, like my friend is basically paying me as his consultant, even though he's building the home himself. Yeah. But I am doing a lot of that talking. Yeah. I'm going in and I'm bringing in my own trusted trades and saying, hey, you guys, don't worry. I'll make sure that you get paid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you can pay that guy a hundred bucks an hour because he's only got to go there every once in a while and, and point some fingers, yeah. right? And it's worth it if you can, if you can pay him a ton yeah. of money and then you can save you know, pay 13,000 yeah. instead of 50,000 on a quote, like you can yeah. pay this guy tons of money and it'd still be worth it. Absolutely. So what somebody could do, I mean, you could do up a draft budget, you know, you talk to your, your contractor friend, get an idea, do up your own draft budget, send it to that contractor friend and say, you know, Hey Bill, would, would you take a look at this? And, you know, by the way, here's a video of the place, you know, mm. I'm happy to pay you for your time. Could you review this and tell me where I'm off? Mm. Tell me what numbers don't make sense. Tell me what numbers do make sense. Right. That's if you're trying to get a, a feeling for cost. Mm. Because, yeah, like we've pointed out, I think that it's probably a one in 20 
when you're getting started, one in 20 people that you have work for you is actually going to work out to the point where you would want to have them back for a, for a second job. Mm. And that is, that was the most painful part of my growth wow. was the first one that I, I did a significant reno on. I slept in that property. I was there every single day of the week. Mm. I, you know, I dedicated my heart and soul and every part of my life during that three and a half month renovation to that property. Wow. Because I overcompensated, I'm the type to overcompensate. If I feel like I don't know something, I will go all out in the other direction and I will do everything I can. So I went from knowing nothing to being able to even do a little bit of work myself. Not that I, Mm. I do that anymore, but the knowledge I got and the ability to talk to people and, and get things done was irreplaceable. And and that first job eventually spiraled into me starting a, a company and hiring my own full-time site supervisor who was a carpenter. And man, did did that relationship ever benefit me? Like, wow. I, I made tons of equity in, in doing rentals on my own properties in such a short period of time because of that relationship. Right. And then maintaining that relationship. And that's yeah. what you really focus on is like, pay them well, be easy yeah. to work with. Don't be, you know, pinching pennies. And, and yeah. Yeah. So, well, my, my approach had to be a little different because I ended up, I'll be quite honest, like Kijiji and Craigslist were like my go-tos mm-hmm. to find contractors. And this is like, everybody's probably shaking their heads right now because that's why it was one in 20. Because right. there's so many people on, on those platforms that are just are not good. Yeah. Let's face the logic of it. If you're really good as a contractor, you are getting called left, right, and center from referrals yeah. because people are saying, does anyone have anyone who can do yeah. this? So what you'll find in those scenarios is you'll you'll stumble across people who are maybe not entrepreneurs at heart. There are guys that are laid off from their union right now. Maybe they're between jobs because there's a lot of union work in carpentry and, and informing and all that where people will, will be on a gig for three months, that job finishes up. Now they're back on mm-hmm. EI. Those type of people might just want some, you know, they might want a job mm-hmm. in the short term. And if you can offer them something, they'd say, Hey, that's cool. But if you can't offer them something going down the road, it's going to get harder. So if you can say, Hey, I'm gearing up, I'm looking for somebody I can build a relationship with. And then maybe even look into adding them as your employee. Cause that's what I did. I, I ended up taking the guys that were good because they didn't have their own companies and I said, okay, well, what if I make you my employee? And some people are so afraid to have an employee. I'll say there are pros and cons. I certainly like not having employees, mm. but it made me far more money than it cost me. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's gold. I really appreciate that information. I'm yeah. not sure if you guys wanted to go down. <laughs> no, this, this no that was very yeah. value packed. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of both novice and aspiring real estate investors that will take away a lot from that. So yeah, I know well, we all need it. somebody at some point, right? We're like, mm-hmm. I was just looking at my, my personal invoices from this year on my rental properties. And I've got like 20 or 30 different companies that I've paid so far this year. Relationships mm-hmm. as a real estate investor are are it's everything so yeah. important, right? Wow. So who can you call if you need that kitchen cabinet replaced or, or you know mm-hmm. a countertop installed, right? Like I'm sure yeah. you guys have somebody that you developed a relationship mm-hmm. with, right? Yeah. yeah. Your network is your net worth. Yeah. I definitely really, really I, believe that. So we got really into something there and I, and I, I was really appreciate it. We should rewind it back a little bit and say like, so we, we do back to the roots. Can you get back to like your original background and how you came yeah. to the ad- discover the idea of financial independence and just, you know, yeah. your mindset on money in, in your younger years? Sure. So I grew up in a pretty simple beginning. Like my, my family, we lived in Tilsonburg, Ontario. And, you know, I, I grew up wearing my, my older brother's hand-me-downs and underwear and everything else, which is ridiculous. But uh, my brothers are, are seven and, and 11 years older than me. And uh, I was the last. I was the youngest of the, of the family. So basically, I just saw, you know, I saw my family have struggles with money. I saw them, you know, I, I regularly would walk in on, you know, my mom and dad talking about how they couldn't afford something. And, and we, we downsized multiple times as I grew up, we moved to Woodstock and every time it was moving into a smaller house, not that there's anything wrong with moving into a smaller house. It was just, they were moving in because they were actually struggling to just make ends meet. I just thought about this. I'm like, well, initially I'm like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to learn whatever it is, I'll go get my PhD. If it means that I'll never have to worry about money anymore, you know, I'll Mm. make, I'll make a hundred plus thousand dollars, you know, Mm. and that'll, that'll do the trick. So that was where I was, I was thinking originally, but then as I got into university, I saw that there were like, well, I I saw the whole student rental market Mm. and I started to think about it. And and I think Matt, I don't know if we we talked about this when you're on my podcast, but the four townhouses out in front of the gates, Mm -hmm. 
there are four fourplexes. I had friends that lived in there, uh, the gates at the Western University here. And I did some rough numbers. Having never been a real estate investor, I asked my parents what their mortgage payment was. And I kind of like thought, okay, well, maybe their mortgage is here. Mm. And I'm like, okay, these guys are probably making about $130,000 per building a year. And I'm like, well, that could replace my entire family's income. And I would Mm. never need to work again if I just had one. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. Wow. So financial independence for me, it wasn't financial independence where it started. It was... I don't want to ever have to worry about money. And then I saw real estate mm-hmm. and the whole financial independence thing. Yeah. I've been obsessed with it. It's all been about, you know, I read Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad. And I'm like, okay, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, I don't ever want to buy something unless I have an asset that pays me every month. Mm-hmm. That's going to pay for that payment. And just the freedom, you know, freedom for me, you know, I've, I've had all these jobs in my life that I didn't like you know, and, and feeling like I had to go to work. Yeah. I I've had like, I've had a breaking point. I've told this story on my podcast before that I actually, I used to work a job where I, I drove into the parking lot every morning. And one morning I actually just broke down and like cried mm. in my car before I went inside. I'm like, this is my life. Yeah. Like I, my shit is totally broken. At that moment I downsized. I got rid of my expensive apartment. I went down to like Eventually, in, in living in a basement bedroom with three, two guys I didn't know mm. for 400 bucks a month, utilities in to be able to give myself freedom. And it was the happiest I'd been in, in probably five years at that point. Wow. So I love how you actually like, like, there's so many people in this scenario right now. They, they wake up, the alarm goes off in the morning. They're like, fuck, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to go to work. And then they drive to work and they're commuting or whatever it is they're doing. They, they have to go into the office and they're just like, I don't know. I, I did this myself for, you know, I, not that long, but like six years out of university yeah. until recently when I left my day job. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a shitty, it's a shitty thing when you, when you don't love the work you're doing and it's yeah. rare for people to actually love it. But Some it's also, do. yeah, it's, and it's amazing for the people that do, but there's so mm-hmm. many people that don't, that are sitting in a cubicle every day. Yeah. And like, for you to actually say like, screw this, like I'm done with that and then step out of it all. And, and yeah. And what was the next step at that point? Like, what did you do? So at that point I was basically working nine to five on commission. So I had to be there, but I was only commissioned and I wasn't really in control of the type of deals I was getting. I was mm. doing mortgages. I still have my mortgage license today, although I'm not okay. active as a mortgage broker. And what did you do in school? To- I studied business. Okay. I went to Ivy business school at Western. Yeah. I taught at Western for a couple of years and then I got into mortgage underwriting and like mortgage brokering because I wanted to learn real estate investing. Nice. Right. So I, I had it in my head. I knew I wanted to get into real estate, didn't know how. Yeah. So my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, she was a very badass real estate investor, still is a developer, incredible person. And I just, I'm like, teach me. She's you a know? mentor. Right? Yeah. A huge mentor. It's so the role that I got into wasn't totally appropriate for me. It didn't, wasn't fulfilling to me, but in a way it was sort of a, it's like a stepping stone. It was, it was a really positive thing for me because that was sort of a rock bottom for me. And if I hadn't hit it, mm-hmm. who knows if I would have been compelled yeah. to make the changes that I did make. People need that catalyst, right? Even yeah. like a breakup in a relationship. Yeah. That's when people's lives change, right? That's when they say, I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to start traveling, yeah. whatever it is. They need that catalyst. And for yeah. you, it was like sitting in the parking lot that morning, right? Oh yeah. It was, it was devastating. I was, I was depressed almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt my life passing by me and mm. uh, a year and a half had gone by in that position. I'm like, where did it go? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm like, I learned a bit. I just feel like I'm not, I'm not enjoying life. And to me, there is nothing that could ever be worth me selling my time. Like there's nothing I'm, I'm not willing to, to be unhappy for any amount of money. Mm-hmm. I think there was a time where I was, and I just, I won't do that anymore. I want to be happy and enjoy every day. So that's why I think people who are in a job that they love need to be careful because you might love it now, but what if one day you don't, do yes. you have the flexibility or do you need it? Yes. And if you need it, you're in the riskiest position that you could ever be in. Like if you're thinking, thinking insurance, you know, people say real estate investing is re- risky. I couldn't disagree more. I think, I think having a full-time job and not investing is the riskiest thing you could ever do. Mm. You're betting that you stay healthy, your mental state stays intact you don't for get all fired. the years. You don't get, you don't get fired. Your quality of work is good enough. Yeah. You know, there's so many things you're banking on. 
And like this mindset I had, this mindset shift I had at one point was I was sitting at work, I was sitting at work and like, there's a lot of people who don't have to work very hard and they're getting paid anyway. And they feel like they're, they're sneaking one by on the man mm-hmm. for a while. And then you start, th- I, I like to ask myself the question, like, okay, if I could just sell a week of my life to get a week of pay, right? Just like snap a finger, it's a week mm-hmm. later and I got another week's pay. Like, would I do that? And like, for how long? Right. Yeah. And because that's how I, that's what I felt like I was doing. I was sitting in a chair. I didn't feel like sitting in mm-hmm. and I was doing that every day. And I was like, should I just snap my finger and have the day end? And I just sell, sell eight hours of my life for eight hours of pay. And as yeah. soon as I was like, fuck that, like, I'm not, I'm not just selling my time. Right. And mm-hmm. that was what I realized is like working time for money is selling your time for money. Right. Unless you're, lo- unless you're enjoying and getting fulfillment out of what you're yeah. doing. And I, like I said, that's rare. For the people that actually do get fulfillment out of their job, incredible. But like you said, build some financial freedom for yourself so that if you decide that you do want to leave your day job at some point or your boss is being an asshole or, or whatever yeah. it is, or you get laid off, it's okay. Problem is, man, it, unless it's happened to you, I mean, it's not internalized. Yes. I, it, so I know I know you're going to have a question for me <laughs> later on. I almost want to answer it now. Sure. Can I? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we kind of pre-went over these questions and the one about a question for the audience. And my question is how do you convince somebody else that these things are important when they haven't internalized it? If they haven't mm-hmm. had that breaking point where that rock bottom, how do you, how do you get somebody who's just not thinking this way at all about financial independence? To That's think a great this way? question. It's like, how do you, how do you have that intervention without them being willing, right? Or yeah. being ready to listen. Cause that you need to motivate somebody, which is like inherently impossible. How do you motivate somebody? All you can do is appeal to their existing motivations. I think like the closest I've heard on that mindset is Matt Pichet. Like when he's trying to attract joint venture partners, he's not selling the money. He's selling the dream, right? So it needs to relate. So they're like, this is my life and this is what I want my life to be. And they need to understand that whatever you're proposing, it's going to bring them to what their life is going to be, right? Like it needs to bridge that gap somehow. But I mean, that's like you said, it's their existing motivations. But, you know, like if how do you change what their motivations should be, right? Yeah. That's tough. Uh, I, I got to say like, yeah, my, my fiance, she's amazing person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she just, she doesn't share this mindset with me. She loves mm-hmm. real estate. It's just the whole financial independence side of things. Like, right. I don't think she, we're totally on the same page with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, uh, we make do, but I just, I would love to, I'd love to, to be able to align our, our goals right. and, and, you know, speak, speak the same language, yeah, so to yeah. speak. So, mm-hmm. and it's aligning like your goal yeah. lifestyle, right. And then mm-hmm. reverse engineering, but hopefully yeah. you have the same goal that you're reaching toward. And then yeah. it's easy to understand. This is how you reverse engineer to, to reach that. The best luck I have is when, when I talk about like the freedom to travel, like, you know, we both, yes. we both do enjoy traveling and I'm like, well, Hey, in order to do that, you need to not yeah. have a job or you need to have a job mm-hmm. you can walk away from. And, you know, I think, Maybe I've answered my own question, but I am genuinely curious to see what other people think about yeah. this. And yeah. I and I bring up Matt Pichet for the same reason. Like yeah. you see, all, so many of his posts are half of them are real estate, and half of them him him on the beach, right? Like, yeah. like traveling and stuff. And it's like this is what I can do if I do this, right? And yeah. He makes that very clear, and and that's how he can sell. You know, that's how he can get these joint venture partners to hand over money and they can work together on it, right? Absolutely, number one rule of sales, right? You got to speak the buyer's language, right? Yeah, yeah. Man. And so I think one of the big reasons people struggle with change is there's so much friction and inertia around them, both just like internalized and in their social network. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear, Andrew, what was family friends reaction to you changing your lifestyle so dramatically from downsizing, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of switching career paths, switching kind of future trajectories, right? Because a lot of people start to internalize like, I am a mortgage broker, and that becomes a big part of their self identity. You know what? I, I never made a, a big announcement that, hey, I'm not really focusing on it anymore. Like I said, I still have the license. I still do I still do some talks because I do like public speaking. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak at Keyspire. And if, there are, if I get asked to do something else, I'll do that too. Occasionally, somebody will contact me and, and ask for some help with something and I'll refer them into the brokerage. So I never made a dramatic change. It was all very subtle. Well, it sounds like your lifestyle, though, was dramatic. My, right? my lifestyle was, was a dramatic change. And I guess... At the end of the day, I, I don't I don't remember anybody actually pushing back on me at all. You know, I I felt like I was fairly well embraced in the situation. So at the time, this was quite a while ago, my fiance, she was still in school here at Western. So 
me leaving that apartment and making the decision to come back to London at that time was actually well received by her, who was the biggest, uh, the biggest person, you know, in my life at mm-hmm. the time. And still, you know, she actually welcomed it and that made it easier because she wanted me to be around, right? She was here in London and, and that, that decision allowed me to be here in London with her. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped me a lot. My family has always been supportive of anything that I've done. Well, you know, who knows what they think <laughs> in the back of their mind, but outwardly supportive. They've never, uh, you know, they've never uh, questioned. And so Hmm. I guess everyone has their own dynamic. Like the only family I'm really close with is uh, my immediate family, like my mom and my brothers and sisters, and they all have kids in their own lives and they're so much older than me. So I guess in a way I was kind of fortunate that I didn't get pushback from just about anybody like your life, you do what you want. (laughs) And we've had, we've had people on all completely different sides of that spectrum. I think Mm -hmm. my my life was similar. I didn't have a lot of pushback, a lot of support, but there is some aspect of like, well, like avoid risk and like, let's, let's make sure you're not doing this too quickly and that kind of thing. And that's, and that's sort of that, like, it may not be directly like stop doing it, but it's like, it's not as supportive as it would be maybe with your network. Right. Yeah. And I think, okay. So, one of the things that's helped me here is that, so Jordan and Carmen, so my fiance and her mom, hmm. both heavily into real estate as a family, right? So when, and I was doing mortgages, I, you know, I was building up my own mortgage business. So all the things that I was doing, I mean, aside from living in the $400 a month basement apartment, they were things that they could support. You know, I can definitely think of of some other entrepreneurial ventures that I've kind of taken on as side gigs where I've got that type of feedback. Mm. You know, you're you're spending too much time on this or Yeah. You know And that's their job is to make sure you're not taking on yeah. too much risk, right? Everyone wants to just protect the people they love, right? Mm-hmm. I get that it's such a nice place it comes from, right? Yeah. Like, Stay in your comfort yeah. zone. My mom was an entrepreneur, so I don't get any pushback from her when that's I do awesome. entrepreneurial stuff. And and my dad passed away many years ago. So mm-hmm. from a family side of things, it's you know, like you said, I was yeah. fortunate in a way that I don't I don't get that that pushback really. Right. That's great. So onto the networking. So you have your own meetup group. It's called the, the Greater Hamilton REI. So you decided at one point you wanted to become the hub of a network. So what prompted that decision for you? Short form would be Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm, yeah. And long form would be just understanding that I had a lot of value I could bring to people. And I had been hiding for some reason or another because you know, I guess there's many reasons too. Mm. It certainly saves time to not be posting on Instagram and posting YouTube videos and editing all day long. Mm. But the being the center of the hub, I realized, like, think about, like, I met you guys, you know, I, I didn't obviously met you guys at meetups, and but we reconnected because of the podcast, mm-hmm. because of, of social media. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted better influences in my life. Mm-hmm. And that really is what it comes down to is I've had, I've been really blessed with this process of having just really great people around me and more of them. Yeah. And that was my number one goal. I want to get like-minded people who are going to push me, take me to the next level and I'll do the same for them. Yeah. And it's still young. Yeah. But I see it happening more and more. And people, there's a lot of people who haven't had that mindset shift yet. They, they, they hear social media and they think it's for, for kids or they don't, they don't quite understand the value of it. Mm-hmm. But like, I know that like, and probably similar for yourself, the, the people that we've interviewed on this podcast, the people that we interact with on our day-to-day lives, a lot of them we met through social media. Mm-hmm. So like it turns into real life. It's not all about living in that social media world. It's about using it to kind of shape your life, to surround yourself with the people you want to be around. And they may not be in your city. They may not be in your, in your close friend group, yeah. but you can reach out to a wider audience and then find these people and then spend more time with them. I'll give you one more reason. So Kevin O'Leary, guy from Shark Tank, Mm. he did a talk. I had had the opportunity to meet him many years back and I randomly ran ran into him at the airport. Funny. Anyways, he did a talk and he he basically said, there's a reason I'm on TV and I'll never leave. And he's like, before I was on TV, I was successful. Everything was great. You know, no problems there. I had a successful company. He's like, but since I've been on TV, it doesn't matter who I call. They always take my call. And think about that. Mm-hmm. So the, just the sheer ability for me to call somebody, hey, I've got a massive development that I want to, you know, I want to bring to you or I want to do something, you know, something huge. I'm laying the groundwork now for that something huge that will come one day. Yeah. I don't know what that something huge is, but I want to make sure that when I have it, people are going to take my call. Yeah. 
That's that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Grant Cardone has a you know low catchphrase. If they don't know you, they can't flow you. And that's <laughs> in relation to cash flow. But yeah. it's so true that yeah. social media just kind of works as that CV or that resume for people yeah. to quickly check you out so that when you send a cold email or a cold DM, they can quickly learn who and what you're about. They can even start to learn maybe who you're associated with or who you spend your time with. And that can lend so much credibility. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're completely that lone wolf that's completely disengaged from social media, no profiles, when you send that email, that email has to be so on point to attract their attention and to capture it. And for them, for them then to believe you, right? Where social media can at least create some initial credibility. So I think we'll probably switch into real estate now. I'd love to hear, you know, you're doing student rentals, multifamily. Do you have a preference? Is there a difference in strategy? Well, the student rentals and one of them is a multi, but I guess the student rentals started and it's a very different mindset. People ask me how many properties I have and or how many doors and, and with student rentals, it's more about how many bedrooms yes. mm-hmm. and, and, you know, what you're getting, you know, per month. I picked student rentals because of the economics of it. And, yeah. and I get people asking me, you know, where should I invest or what should I invest in? And I'm like, there's no simple answer. I invest in what I know. And I, I believe in the economy I invest in. And with student rentals, if you take economics, whether the economy's up or down, people go to school. Mm-hmm. So maybe the only real risk I'm taking with them is that I do high-end student rentals and people might, you know, pull back their budget a little bit. But from a, so most of my tenants, their parents are paying for it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Their parents guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Love that even more. Mm-hmm. Their parents are wealthy. I've got kids that are that come from private schools living in my my properties, which means they're backed by money. And even in a rough economy, I mean, these are families that are geared towards spending. These are families that that will pay an extra two hundred dollars for their kid to have their own private bathroom and you know the nicest place on the because you, you know, do like five bed, five and a half yeah. bath houses. Right? Yeah, five bed, five and a half bath. I have one that's six bed, six and a half bath. Everybody gets their own bed, quartz countertop, stainless steel, and so I appeal to that that top end because that's exactly the opposite of what I had when I was in school. And, you mm-hmm. know, I woke up with like carpenter ants crawling on me in my student rental. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I just knew there was a hole in that market and that something that was truly great would be would be snapped up from by the people whose parents are paying for it. So, you know, if my I have actual actual bedrooms rented at 860 a bedroom right now, which is probably the highest anyone's ever gotten mm-hmm. in London, among the highest. But it happens to be on one of the best properties that probably exists in London, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd never know that, that that'd be possible until you try for it. And uh, I'm you know, sure glad I did. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I love know, the story behind that, too. You had a bit of a negotiation going for that, right? Yeah, I did. I held offers on that one. <laughs> I, I held rental offers and that. I got that idea from somebody else and, you know, thank God it works. So long and short, love student rentals, love what what they represent. The reason I started getting into, like I just did my first multifamily conversion and plan to do more. It's just the London market went nuts and it kind of put me on pause for buying inventory. Mm -hmm. But what's the plan there? Because like if you're on pause, what's what's the idea now? Oh, I'm papering Hamilton right now. So I'm sort of changing gears. I live 15 minutes from the the neighborhood that I'm I'm sending out flyers to right now. Right. So I've been laying the groundwork in Hamilton right now. You know, my main guy that does work for me contracting is he's equally close to Hamilton as he is to Burlington. He's willing to come up there for me. I I prefer to drive 15 minutes instead of an hour and 40. Yes. So <laughs> that's kind of where, where I'm at with that. But it's, so, ni- it's nice to, it's nice to invest you know, in your neighborhood or in your city. London is my city still. However, I'm making a second one and it's really just because I know London, you know, I knew how to get permits here, knew how to get approvals here. I have the team engineers, mm. uh, contractors, subcontractors. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be a ton more work to do this in Hamilton, but my hand was sort of forced mm-hmm. because the the price range, I mean, on the back end, the multifamily I just finished, I got a $655,000 appraisal on it. Wow. Selling that on the market, that's, you know, how much higher am I going to go than that? Right. Mm-hmm. That's either, that's already shocking to you guys, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if, if I start, you know, pushing that on the market, in my mind, I'm taking too much risk there. I'm mm-hmm. getting far too financially exposed. I'd much rather, the reason I loved the student rentals and I was flipping a few of them with my company and I was, I was also burring them. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would go in, I would renovate them and then refinance them and keep them. The reason I liked them is I was able to buy them around 200, 
you know, 210 and put in maybe 175 or so, or, you know, in that ballpark and have that thing appraise at $500,000 Wow. or 530. I think now if I were to reappraise the ones that I did, they'd appraise around 600 or so. Wow. And so, that's from gutting it and then completely redoing it? Or is that with additions? And There's additions that went on to most of them. Hmm. So built additions and, you know, reconfiguring updates where needed, you know, plumbing updates where needed, electrical hmm. updates, make it a proper house, right? Like get, turn it into something where you're not going to have a parent come in there and say, well, but you didn't, you know, have this or yeah. you, you didn't do that. And it's got everything, you know, yeah. In, in essence, give it everything. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it take to give it everything and make it a smart layout, make it, you know, make it a, an, a desirable product. Yeah. So you mentioned at one point on one of your Instagram posts, you said, what can we do to make this awesome? You said that in terms of like business, real estate and investing. Mm-hmm. So like, what, what does that mean to you to make something awesome? So that makes it fun. <laughs> if it's not awesome, it's not really going to be fun to do. Mm. You know, to me, that's what I said. It's it's about making it like Lego, right? If it's if I don't get behind the vision of it, I'm not going to want to put my time into it. So the student rentals, I'm not going to say they were all great. Like they got better and better and better every single time. It's like, okay, well, what can I do now, right? Mm. The second I found myself kind of sticking with the same thing I did last time, it was easier, but it made it like work. Wow. And, I like that. Yeah, the coordination of things like, you know, building the 27 townhouses. I got very complacent as, as doing them because it was the same layout every single time, the same mm-hmm. finishes. Yes, it makes it easy, but I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more if I said, you know, let's do this one a little different or let's 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 do each block unique. Not practical would have been more fun. And is that, is that sort of where your mindset is at in terms of, you know, investing in Hamilton now and knowing that like, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of new things to learn and, you know, you can try new strategies. Yeah. I think learning is fun, right? Like doing, doing something new, especially when you, you win and you get paid, you mm-hmm. know, I love that, you know, that, that feedback loop. Okay. Well, I must've done something right. I, I got a nice paycheck on this one. And it's a great way to step yeah. out of your comfort zone within the world of real estate. Yeah. Like this is, this is hugely new. So now I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to have more deals than I can even do. So I'm going to be having to wholesale some yeah. of them. And so now you'll get involved with the network yeah, there. And, but yeah. I'm cool with that. I mean, I, here's another thing. Like, of course I like building things, but I want to be able to give it my energy and I want to be able to, I want to be able to make it great. Right. Mm-hmm. And if I'm overwhelmed with things to do, it's going to take me away from that. So I'm totally cool with, with, with working smart and not working hard. Right. I'll always want to have some sort of building consulting or building going on, whether it be my own project or doing it for somebody else Hmm. because it's fun. It's creative, right? It's like, does some people like drawing, making music? You know, I like that too, but this, this I enjoy. Hmm. So I'll keep that going on, but I mean, I'm happy to sell for a fee and and just take a quick, quick buck and go, right? Like, yeah, not everything needs to be grand. It's totally fine. Like, look at Sean Allen. I, I don't know how involved he is with every property, but when you're doing 30 in a year, you can't be pouring your heart and soul into every every single one. No. no. So we've talked a lot about real estate. I'd love to know, are you 100% in real estate? I am. So my income is is composed of what I do in terms of the buy and sell. So if I, I flip a property in my company, it's composed of my rental income. And then I, I have a little bit coming in from, you know, the construction consulting. And then of course, when I'm doing like a townhouse build or a build for somebody, I'm obviously charging fees and it, it comes from that. So mm. again, if you had asked me five years ago, would I be at this point? I I would, I would never have been able to wrap my head around it. It's cool because time. you're happy to earn active income. And like a lot of times we talk about passive income and financial independence, but you're building active income because you're enjoying what you're doing. And then you're yeah. deciding like, Hey, maybe I'm not enjoying this so much. Like it looks like I'm doing the same renos over and over. It's kind of boring. I'm going to try something new. So you're, you're changing up what's active in your business in order to earn that active income. And then you you have your passive income as a backing. Well, I think we've talked about this before. I I don't, I don't pretend that every decision I made was the best one and that I got exactly where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I've hit a certain amount of passive cash flow at this point, which I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I, I honestly don't, I don't get excited about active income at all because I totally think passive income is, is the best feeling, right? It doesn't matter that I make more from active. When I see those, 
deposits. I just had, I think I posted it on a story. I had 13,800 in auto deposits go into my account mm-hmm. at, at like 9 PM on the, like the third or the fourth, because I have everything go in through automatic mm-hmm. in that system. The fact that, that my system would reach into my tenants accounts and pull the money out and drop <laughs> it into mine. And I didn't have to do anything made me smile. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I love the passive and what what I do with active is really just to cover, okay, what do I need this year? And I don't like to just shoot for the minimum because then that could potentially, if you miss, then you're stressed. Mm-hmm. But I shoot for something that I think will be really awesome. And then I focus all my energy and efforts on building my own projects. Mm. Like last summer, the entire summer, my time was dedicated to, to renovating the one property I told you about, mm. which was a six bed, six bath student rental turned it into something fantastic. I wouldn't have been able to spend my entire summer creating a keeper that I technically had to pay to hold on to. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I needed to go to work a job and if I, if I needed to rely on a paycheck coming in every other week or every week. So, yeah, I mean, I am happy to have active income, but my goal is to, to completely not need it ever again. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So at this point, do you have a roadmap or a five-year plan or anything that you're striving toward at this point? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking at uh, doing more larger development of, of units. So I got into construction, well, renovation turned into getting into construction. Now I want to take it to the next level of getting into development and not development to like build, you know, a block of townhouses and sell them, but to build them and then burr them. Mm. And I had a project lined up that I was about to pull the trigger on and it looked like there was about a million dollars in equity there upon finishing it. And I, I probably wouldn't have been able to pull maybe $4,000 a month in cash flow wow. out of it as well. The process would have taken a couple of years. And admittedly, like that would have been really difficult for me to do right now. That would have stressed me out mm-hmm. because I haven't had a lot of active income in a little while, just because I've been more focused on my own projects. So now I'm looking at, okay, so doing some of these flips, wholesales, this and that, refocusing on the active income for the time. And then using that to fuel my ability to sit and wait for a couple of years and, you know, and carry a property Hmm. while I get it to the stage where I can, you know, put a shovel in the ground. And then even when the shovel's in the ground, construction takes time. So, you know, do I have six months to wait, then rent it out, then refinance it? That's a process. But damn, is it ever worth it, right? (laughs) Like how much can I, can I affect my cash flow? You know, I could, mm-hmm. uh, in one project, I could add $10,000 a month to my cash flow. So I'm looking at, at that. And I know you've had other people say to you that, you know, when's enough, right? Like when's enough? Like I, mm. I think with my fiance and I, like I had originally said, Hey, 10 K a month, we can definitely make that work. The two of us, we could travel the world. We could, you know, leave our jobs and, and I'd be happy as, as you know, ever that that'd be more than enough. That'd be a little lean for, for the two of us. And, you know, depending on the type of places we'd want to go and stay to. So my goal is to get it to 20,000 mm. a month net passive. And, you know, from there, it's just take on projects. I'll still build the cash flow because it's fun, mm-hmm. right? If it's not fun, change something. Like, you're, you're yeah. doing it wrong. <laughs> I think so. that was Matt Pichet, the exact same goal, yeah. 20K a month. Yeah, yeah. I remember him saying that. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but a lot of people, they start with the two and a half, yeah. then the five, then the 10. Yeah. And a lot of people jump to the 20. And then and then people yeah. have net worth goals. I know Dan DeVoe had like, I don't remember what it was, like, like 10 million. Yeah. Because like he wanted then to transition into hard money lending. Right. And that was going to yeah. be his retirement plan. Yeah. That's a great strategy. See that. And that's another, like technically if I just liquidated everything right now, I could put it into privates and, mm-hmm. and, and probably be at the 10 K off of that mm-hmm. private mortgages. So I kind of want to go on a tangent because yeah. more frequently than I'd like have this debate with myself of like, yeah. should you just sell it all and go into hard money lending? Yeah. Because that's the truly passive income, right? There's still some management. There's still some. (laughs) Doesn't exist. (laughs) I think it's the closest thing outside of a GIC that a lot of us real estate investors are going to be comfortable with. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It is close, Mm. but even that, like, you got to keep an eye on who you got to keep an eye. Like, I'd say your biggest hurdle is you know picking your broker. I mean, obviously, I'm fortunate to be connected to Pro Funds, and I could you know get into a, a deal if and when I wanted to, but I'm a bit of a control freak. I want to be in control of stuff. And and that's, that's coming from back in the day when I invested in the U S and got burned pretty bad by letting other people control my interests and assuming they had my best interests at heart, mm. which, Hey, I learned, I learned through hard knocks, unfortunately. Mm. So it basically, I overcompensated to extreme control 
and controlling everything and, and being able to fire somebody or anything. If you're, if you're in a locked in deal, you have to be willing to accept, Hey, I am not in control. That deal might go three years. You know, it might be scheduled for two years, but yeah. you know, in the private mortgage world, things don't typically pay out on the maturity date. It's usually, it might only vary a couple of days. It might vary a week, hmm. but it, you know, the type of deals they do, it's, you know, construction. It could vary. It could vary a year, hmm. which I mean, you pick your flavor, right? Like you could get set up here in, in London, Matt, and just lend to people who are flipping. And that's what I, yeah. yeah. If you did that, then, you know, again, you just got to know the people. So it's still mm-hmm. active, right? You're still actively building relationships. Just follow them on social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they don't that have a YouTube page. I want my money back. <laughs> the start of the application is, is what is your YouTube uh, channel? Okay. Uh, don't have one. Nope. Sorry. Can't lend to you. Yeah. But you're probably right. You could probably just pick a handful of people that, that you knew mm-hmm. and just relend to them. And you could get to a point where that that's as passive as it gets. But at the same time, can't you just build the systems around your rental properties and do the same thing? Like you've got, yeah. you've got guys who, who don't call you. So what I've really focused on in my portfolio is systems. Everything is systematic. So the, the students get an email that explains exactly what to do in different, different scenarios. Hmm. And so if you have a plumbing problem, you don't call me. If, if it's in the middle of the night, you call Hyde Park Plumbing. And if it's during the day, here's the procedure. You let me know what the problem is, and then I will respond with mm. instructions. You don't call me. You email me, wow. right? Like, I, I had to do these things because I'm managing my properties myself now, and I wasn't before. But it, it, it turned out to be the frugal decision to not pay a manager and to just do a little bit of extra work now to set up a system that won't be extra work later. And then in then worst case, if you wanted to hand this off to someone else, you're handing off the system to them. So you like in a reasonable yeah. for a reasonable manager, they would understand that this is way less work and yeah. therefore would cost a lot less to manage. Yeah, like I figured I was paying like a hundred bucks a house plus tax for management and mm. they were depositing direct deposit. I'm like, wow, I really like the direct deposit thing. I don't like paying you a hundred dollars a month thing. Plus I was paying them to rewrite my properties, which was the biggest in my mind, the absolute biggest and most upsetting thing of it all. So I turnover so expensive. Turnover was so expensive. So I just got rid of all that Mm. and man, has it been awesome? But yeah, the systems direct deposit, like I hate chasing students for Mm -hmm. like email money transfers because they don't pay them on time. Right. Like they always forget. So, (laughs) so I, when I, it was, it technically was my property manager who fired me because I said, I want to rent my own properties this year. Cause it saved me like $12,000, like immediately. And then I said that, and then they fired me like three days later. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do anything for you anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's their bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, we rely on it. I'm like, I understand. And I don't want any animosity. So, mm-hmm. you know, fair enough. So I hardcore, like I was scouring the internet for a direct withdrawal method. And now I found a couple, especially through networking, but I, I, mm-hmm. I stumbled across something called uh, Pendopay, mm-hmm. pen.do they do a property management software, but I know you're coming up with one. So I'm super excited to see if you guys can mm-hmm. integrate some uh, auto deposit feature. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's game changing. Mm-hmm. The second you don't have to call people. Like I have parents accounts on the direct withdrawal. So it's coming right out of the parents account into mine. That's awesome. Can't, it doesn't get better. No, than that. that's passive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. great. I think it probably makes sense at this point for us to move on to our fire four. Yeah. So number one question we have for you, Andrew is what are you grateful for? I'm honestly so grateful for just the ability to make up my days as I choose to feel true freedom. Like I feel like each day is, is mine to choose. I do work hard, but I I work on my own terms and I I choose my tasks. And if I don't like what I'm doing, I have no one to blame but myself. So I love that I get to get to be my own boss there. That's awesome. So what's a guilty pleasure or a tool or something in your life that you can't live without? Uh, guilty pleasure. I definitely spend too much time on my phone. <laughs> I need to get a timer on my phone again. Cause like it's, it's just countless hours, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like just watching, you know, the Raptors are in the playoffs right now at the time we're recording this fingers crossed that goes well, but you know, just following that stuff. I'm like, man, what a waste of time. Like what a just waste of my mental energy to even care at all about that. But I mean, Hey, it's great for Canada. Like I, I'd love to see them win. It's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't are. think they did, didn't they, last night? They lost the last game, yeah. yeah. It was one point. They, they lost by one point, and it was it was supposed to be a closeout, right? So, oh. Yeah. <laughs> they got two more chances, but who knows? Like They, they might not win. Okay. So yeah. is there a frugality tip or life hack that you could share with our listeners? The frugality tip, I mean, you guys have probably preached it a, a million times, but, you know, spending does not equal happiness, which I've I know through and through. 
You only kind of figure so, that out once you really start, once you start earning yeah. money too, right? Like good money. Yeah, because like, I, I always thought like when I started earning more, I'd be so much happier and, you know, things would get easier. But in fact, I actually found that they got harder because I was spending more. So, and taxation mm. that being the other big one. So what I would say is focus on value. You know, don't analyze your life in terms of how much value something brings to you. Like find a way to quantify that because it's okay to spend on something if it truly brings you value. Like if you get like just absolutely elated because of painting or because of playing music, then maybe it makes sense to go buy a a more expensive guitar. But if it's not something that really brings you joy on a daily basis, you know, why not buy a used phone instead of buying a brand new one? Mm -hmm. Like, do you really need, do you really need that? And I need to take my own advice a little bit more sometimes. You can check the Raptors updates on an old phone. (laughs) Yeah, you can do that. There's so, there's so many ways, right? And and then the other hack or tip would be based on the question that I asked earlier is, is find a way to get your partner on board and find a way to find common ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is kind of the hard hitting question. What would the hero of your own movie do in your life right now? So this question is, if you were in a movie and you're kind of watching it right now and you're rooting for yourself, like what is it, what is that decision that maybe you're, you're not really sure what to make? Like what would you be rooting for that hero in your own movie to do right now? Yeah. I mean, if, if I were to look at my life as a movie and, and not be focused on mitigating risk, hmm. you know, I would, I would want to see me take a big bold move and, you know, the development that I just passed up, I think I could probably still go get it. Hmm. You know, I'd want to see me do it. Hmm. And, you know, risks be damned. And uh, <laughs> I love that. That is really what the question is asking. Like, what, yeah. like, what's something that's risky? You're not really sure what to do. Yeah. And yeah, I like that. I was uh, speaking with Richard, who he owns, he co-owns ProFunds and Valor Capital with Carmen. And I was talking to him about it. And I'm like, well, I got this deal. And, you know, here's where my head's at. And he's just like this calming force. And, you know, he's, he's very direct about what he says. And I don't know many people more successful than, than him and Carmen. And he's just like, well, he's like, you know what, sometimes you got to fight. You know, he, he, he's very much like, Hey, if you believe in something, you, you know, you go fight for that. Mm. He's, he's, you're justified and here's why. And, you know, he's, he knows very clearly why he should win right? Knowing so clearly why you should win and knowing that you can't control the outcome every time. But if you know that you're in the right, that you fight for it. And I think mm. a lot of people give up. And and I, I really took from him is, you know, you got to fight and I, I will take his advice. I, I just, I have my own, my own approach with it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. fantastic. You want it to be sustainable too. <laughs> I've been burned and I know he has too. And, and, you know, we all, we all learn from it different ways. I just, I've learned ways of doing things where I don't have to expose myself to unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's awesome. So if people want to reach out to you, Andrew, what's the best way for them to get in contact or learn more about you? Probably on Instagram. So at the Andrew Hines or Facebook at the Andrew Hines, if you wanted to message me, but mostly active on Instagram would be the best way. Awesome. And we both follow you. I think it's, it's definitely worth that, uh, worth the follow. I like the day to day, like day in the life stuff. Yeah, I post some stories, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to find a way to balance that with, you know, being productive. And then obviously the podcast highlights and teasers. So if you want to check out the podcast, visit my Instagram and all the links are there. Yeah. And yeah. both of us had episodes on there as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. There's been really good episodes uh, digging deep with Kellen and Matt. So yeah, check it out. Thanks awesome. a lot. Appreciate thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I hope I didn't babble too much. No, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. That was just such a fun episode and had such a great flow with Andrew. I loved hearing his thoughts on managing contractors and building a team. I really need to re-listen to this episode and take action on his advice. Yeah, managing trades and contractors is definitely the bane of a lot of real estate investors' existence, and so he nailed it with his tips. Thanks, guys. Make sure to tune in to the next On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember being normal buying stuff doesn't make you happy and always remember what steve jobs said innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower